Saul became increasingly more powerful and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. After some time had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night so that they might kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Now that is quite a story of adventure and daring do, isn't it? A deadly plot, a midnight escape in a basket from an opening in the wall. Can you imagine what a dramatic scene that would make in some Hollywood blockbuster? It is a great story to be told as an episode of this podcast, but there is just one problem. It may not have gone down exactly like that. That is the story as told in the Book of Acts. But there is another version of the story that's a bit different. And it is a story that we really ought to hear, especially considering that it was told by the man in the basket himself, the Apostle Paul. This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 5.4 The Basket Case Paul looked at the basket doubtfully. Some friends of his had bored it from a nearby warehouse, where it had been used to transport fruit. It was tightly woven together out of reeds, and certainly looked strong enough. But Paul wasn't entirely sure if he was willing to trust his weight to it, as it was lowered from such a height. Nevertheless, there were four strong men who were tying ropes to the corners of the basket. It looked like this was his best option for the escape that he really needed to make. Uh, tell me again why you need to sneak out of the city in the middle of the night? A friend of his asked. Who did you say is trying to get you? Because I heard someone say that it was the local Jews who were trying to kill you. Paul laughed at that idea. <laughs> Think about what you're saying. How much sense does that really make? He wanted to know. I mean, yeah, I will confess that some of the Jews in the local synagogue are a little bit upset with me ever since I arrived here in Damascus because I've been talking to some of the Gentiles who are God-fearers. They are afraid that the good news that I have been preaching, the news that I learned from my encounter with Jesus, might persuade some of these Gentiles to stop their patronage of the local synagogue 
and support my new Jesus Club here instead. But think, man. Are they really going to try and murder me just for that? And if they did, how exactly are they going to manage that? They are Jews, member of a small ethnic group here in the biggest city of Syria, a city that is run by Romans, Greeks, and Arabs. Just how are they going to get away with murder over some minor religious dispute that the local authorities care nothing about? Oh no, I'm not really trying to get away from the Jews. Well, what is it then? Why do you need to escape and escape right now? Paul cast his mind back to three years ago. That was when everything had changed for him. He had been a powerful and influential Pharisee who had hated these disciples of Jesus, hated them with a passion. He had sought to round them up and throw them in jail for disturbing the peace of the land. He would have been happy to beat them up and even to kill them had he been able. But right in the middle of that work, something had happened. The man whose followers he was persecuting, the man who he had believed to be dead, actually appeared to him. It didn't make any sense. How was such a thing even possible? I mean, sure, Paul believed in the resurrection of the dead. It was a common belief among Pharisees. But that was something that would only happen in the Messianic age. But here he was faced with the evidence of his own eyes that it had already happened, or at least begun. Paul was expecting that Jesus would be mad at what he had been doing. But apparently he wasn't particularly. It seemed, in fact, that Jesus had appeared to him in order to give him a job. He was to proclaim the message of Jesus and of his resurrection. He was to become an agent of that belief that he had sought to wipe from the face of the earth. Such an experience had turned everything upside down for Paul. Nothing seemed to make any sense anymore. And so Paul needed time. He needed to get away from everything to think about all of this, to think it through. And so Paul just got up and left. He went away from Jewish communities and away from the Jesus clubs he had been persecuting. He went into Arabia, specifically to the kingdom of Nabatea.
Why did Paul choose Nabatea? He was really just trying to get away from everything that was familiar. And Nabatea had a troubled relationship with the Judeans and Galileans. Some years before, King Herod Antipas of Galilee had entered into an alliance with King Aratas of Nabatea. Herod had even married the king's daughter. But then, Herod completely destroyed that alliance when he decided to divorce his wife in order to marry his brother's wife, Herodias. The whole affair was a complete disaster. It had been opposed by many Jews, including a prophet named John, who was known as the Baptizer. John the Baptizer lost his head over the whole matter, but King Aratas only lost his temper. He gathered his armies and invaded Herod's territories, defeating him soundly. Ever since, King Aratas had really wanted to have nothing to do with Judeans or Galileans of any sort. And given the, de the bruising defeat they had suffered, Judeans and Galileans felt much the same way. So, by going to Arabia, Paul felt that he would be far enough away from all sorts of Jews, including the followers of Jesus, and he would have a chance to think this all through for himself. But Paul had not been prepared for one thing. The encounter that he had had with the risen Jesus had truly changed something in him. He had been given a message and, more importantly, he had been given a calling to share it he suddenly found that it was no longer an option for him to simply keep it all to himself. He had to talk about it. He couldn't help himself. So he might have gone to Arabia with the full intention to quietly reflect on what he had experienced, but it did not really work out that way. Paul just found himself constantly talking about Jesus, about how the fact that he knew Jesus had been raised from the dead changed everything. If the resurrection had really begun, had begun with Jesus, then the messianic age had arrived. Well then, didn't that mean that anything could happen now? that the nations of the earth could be brought in just like the prophets of old had promised? Paul just couldn't get those kinds of thoughts out of his head, which meant that he found it hard to talk about anything else.
he had gone to Arabia, hoping to lay low and escape any attention. Things worked out a little differently. As he spoke to people about his new and deepening insight into what it meant that Jesus had risen from the dead, there were some people who began to respond. They began to meet and talk together, forming a bit of a club around the idea. But even as they began to grow in numbers, somehow Paul managed, for the most part, to keep a low profile. But then something happened that kind of blew things up. Paul was staying with a friend. Some members of the Jesus Club had gathered, and he was speaking in the courtyard of the house. He was talking about how, if the Messianic Age had really begun, that many things ought to be very different. For example, Paul was saying, this expectation that was everywhere in society that every man and every woman over a certain age had to be married. Well, perhaps that idea no longer applied. It was just one of the many points in Paul's discussion that afternoon, but it was overheard by someone in the next house over. It was a very young woman who had just learned that she had been betrothed to a man that she truly did not want to marry. And so, having heard what Paul had said, she began to listen even more closely. And she came to believe, before he had even stopped talking, that because of this Jesus he spoke of, she was free, free from her obligations to her family that were driving her towards something that was making her miserable. And so she vowed right there, right then, that she would devote her life to this Jesus and that she would never marry. It just so happened that the man to whom this woman was betrothed was an ethnarch in the service of King Aratas a high official who ruled on behalf of the king over one of the many competing tribes in Nabatea. The ethnarch was a cruel and mean man. There were some very good reasons why the young woman didn't want to marry him. And he was not the type 
to take any insult to his honor lightly. So, it seemed that Paul had suddenly made himself a very powerful enemy. The shocking news that this young woman was refusing the marriage that had been arranged for her spread far and wide, and everywhere the story was told, the blame for the whole situation fell squarely upon a Jew named Paul from Tarsus, who had been passing through Nabatea, knowing very well that the king was not very kindly disposed towards Jews, it quickly became clear that no one was going to come to Paul's defense. And so, Paul had fled to Syria and landed in Damascus. He had thought that escaping to the leading Greek city in the region would put enough distance between him and his Arab pursuers. He really should have known better. In these days, Syria was firmly under the control of the Roman Empire. But it was really not all that long ago that Damascus had actually been under Nabataean control. There were, in fact, still a great many Nabataean agents who were active and who carried great weight in the Arab communities. It did not take very long after Paul had arrived in Damascus for his enemy, the Ethnarch, to find him. And then, just today, Paul had learned some very disturbing news. Not only had the Ethnarch found him, he had been able to hire a bunch of goons in the city from among the expatriate Arab population. The word was that they were laying in wait for him at every exit from the city. The Ethnarch had decided that in order to save his own honor, Paul would have to be beaten to death. And so, Paul couldn't believe it, but here he was, about to step into a large woven basket and have four burly men lower him by ropes out of a hole in the wall of the city of Damascus. Once again, Paul was going on the run. This time he thought he might go down to Jerusalem a place where he was sure that the officials of King Eratas did not have an extensive spy network. Maybe it was time for him to finally meet some of the leaders of the followers of Jesus in that city, who were said to be some of his closest disciples and even members of his family. It wasn't that he needed to meet them, to confirm what he already knew from his own encounter with the risen Jesus. But 
perhaps it would be good to talk with them and then get their perspective on it all. Surely they would approve of the calling that Jesus had put upon him to go and preach the message to the people of many nations throughout the world. And so Paul stepped into the basket. It creaked mightily as it took up his weight, but it held him fast. He nodded at the men who held the ropes. Okay, he said, let's do this. And with that, he swung out over the void. Lord Jesus, protect me, he muttered under his breath. In Christian tradition, there are two main sources on the life and work of the Apostle Paul. First of all, we have Paul's own letters. Though most of these letters are concerned with matters and problems in the various churches he's writing to, Paul frequently drops autobiographical details into his discussions, especially as he defends his role as an apostle. The other main source on Paul in the Bible is the Book of Acts, which devotes the majority of its text to telling the stories of Paul's missionary journeys. According to Christian tradition, the Acts was written by Luke, a traveling companion of Paul himself. There is even one short section in the book that refers to the company that is traveling with Paul using the first-person plural, we. But there are some reasons to question how trustworthy the book of Acts is on the life and ministry of Paul. There are, in fact, some biographical details of Paul's story that are very difficult to reconcile between the letters and the Acts. One of these episodes is this story of the escape from Damascus. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul tells his version of the harrowing escape. He agrees that he escaped by being let down through a hole in the city wall in a basket, but he gives a very different reason for that escape from the one found in the book of Acts. According to Paul himself, the man who was, after all, actually there, in the basket. He didn't have to sneak out of the city because the local Jews were trying to kill him. No, according to Paul, he had a very different enemy, a certain official called an ethnarch of King Eratas of Nabatea, who was trying to kill him. There is also another detail that Paul mentions in his letters that is problematic. According to Paul, shortly after he encountered the risen Christ, he went away into Arabia for a period of three years, perhaps to think about and 
make sense of what had happened to him. The Book of Acts never mentions this strange sojourn in Arabia, which leaves a three-year gap in its account. Given that Nabatea was an Arabian kingdom, one cannot help but wonder whether it was while he was in Arabia that Paul happened somehow to make an enemy of a certain powerful Nabataean ethnarch. In any case, Paul was the man who was in the basket, which makes me a little bit more inclined to assume that he knew who he was trying to escape. All of that leads me to believe that we should view the Book of Acts account of Paul with at least a bit of suspicion. So what I set out to do in this episode was to try to tell the story of the escape from Damascus as we might have imagined it if we only had Paul's letters to go by, and not the Book of Acts. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please do subscribe so that you can get the next episode. It'll come out in a couple of weeks. A five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or some other podcasting platform is a great way to help other people find this podcast. The theme music for the podcast is Ah Da by Kevin MacLeod. It is licensed under the Creative Commons and can be found at incompetech.com. The mood music for this episode is Through the Atmosphere by Mercy Rock. You can listen to Mercy Rock's music wherever music streams. Look on Spotify today. You can connect, contact me on Twitter at Retelling Bible, on the Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. For more information on the conflicts between Paul's letters and the Book of Acts, and some of the choices I made in this retelling, go to the show notes for this episode. They've been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.